message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Amen. Well, have a seat. Grab your Bible. We are going to be in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. How are we? We good? Good morning so far? All right. Very good. As you're grabbing your Bible, let me welcome you, and uh, especially to those who are here for the very first time. We're glad you're here. Uh, do us a favor before you leave. Uh, at some point, grab uh, a bulletin. If you don't already have one, there's some on the back table. You can get one on your way out. Uh, and in the bottom right-hand corner, there is a section uh, for guests. It's our visitor card. It'll tear out. And uh, here's what I want you to do with that. Fill it out as much or as little as you like and uh, drop it in the brown wooden box at the back of this room. There's a table there. In that, off, in that box, we give, as a church, our tithes and offerings. And uh, we ask only of you that, you that you leave that with us so that we have a record of your visit and so that we can answer any questions you might have about our church. So uh, was I clear on that? You, you don't need to give anything except, if you will, leave us that as your guest card. And uh, I promise nobody's going to come knocking on your door at about 2 o'clock this afternoon, interrupt your nap because you put that card in there. Uh, we just want to be able to have a record and uh, to reach out to you as you request. All right? So welcome. We are glad you are here. Let me make just a couple of announcements or highlight a couple of announcements that are in your bulletin and uh, point you in the right direction. Grief Share, you'll see, uh, is going to be coming. Uh, a psychologist friend of mine is going to be coming and doing a Surviving the Holidays seminar. It's, a, it's just an hour and a half seminar. It's kind of an introduction to all that Grief Share is, but it specifically deals with dealing with grief around the holidays. And uh, he and I thought that it might be a good time for our church. And uh, if you want to take advantage of that, I think it's $5, is that right? $5 to get the study guide. It's going to be November 9th, right here in this room at 5 o'clock. lasts about an hour and a half. And feel free to invite friends, neighbors, anyone. Part of this is not only helping you and I to deal with our own grief, but equipping you so that you might be able to help others with their grief, especially through the holidays, right? You guys get that? That the holidays becomes a tough time. And so... uh, Sign up in the hallway on the bulletin board in the main hall between the uh, restrooms out there, the sign-ups out there. Um, also, shoeboxes for the uh, Christmas uh, children giveaway. What's that called? What's it called? Operation Christmas Child. There you go. Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. We have boxes out there. Uh, here's, here's a new wrinkle to this. Like, If you don't have time to go uh, get a box, take it home, and buy all the supplies that you might use to put in the box to give away, uh, one of the ladies came to me this morning and said, hey, listen, we've got some folks who will pack those boxes. They have the supplies, etc. So you have the opportunity to now just make a donation. How much, Casey? Okay, $20 would be ideal. Anything you want to give towards a box, if you don't have the time to do a box yourself, you could uh, see Casey in the uh, foyer before you leave, and uh, she can help you get that done. All right, so thank you for doing that, whoever is making themselves available for that. All right. That's enough announcements. You got the rest in your bulletin. Let's go. First John chapter 3. It's, is it cold outside? Anybody? Yeah. Is it cold in here to anybody? I'm a little chilly. Y'all mind if I put a, add another layer real quick just to get warmed up? Does it matter? Anybody care? Steve? You cold, Steve? You good? All right. <coughs> Sorry, I had to. I had to. (coughs) All right. That's enough of that nonsense. 1 John chapter 3. I'm excited to jump back into this. We've been out of 1 John for a few weeks. Here it is. 1 John chapter 3. We are in verse 11. Here's what he says. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. He said that a few times, hasn't he? That we should love one another. If you want to circle his point, you could circle that phrase. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know, love, by this, that he laid down his life for us. 
and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, would you join us in this place as we as we open up the Holy Word. We thank you that your Word is not an idle word. It is our very life. We thank you that it has the capability, as Ricky prayed earlier, to strike right where we need it to strike. And so, Lord, for those who are gathered here this morning, you know their names and you know their hearts. Lord, speak. Lord, speak directly to the depths of their heart. Whether you use me or you go through the Holy Spirit right in, into the, to the darkness of their heart. Lord, Lord, speak. We submit ourselves to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It occurred to me as I was reading this aloud that uh, John does such a good job that you almost don't have to preach it. But I will. So here we go. Verse 11, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. He has said that a couple times before. John would have us know, listen, guys, this is, this is nothing new here. There's nothing new. There's no new revelation that you need. Remember the context of his writing? The church is a little bit confused. There are people that are in the church that are, that are stirring things up. They're introducing truth that is not really truth. They're introducing doctrine that's not really doctrine, not according to John, not according to Paul, not according to what Jesus had to say. And so John... The, the elderly apostle writes back and says, hey, let's, let's clear some, some things up. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes your way. Listen, there really is nothing new. And certainly he means nothing new all the way back to Genesis. He's going to mention Genesis here in a moment, in fact. But probably more specifically, he means nothing new since, since we started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ at his appearing and his death and his resurrection. The message that we gave you from the very beginning, now that it's been a few years, it, it, it doesn't change. So don't, don't be confused. And so he says, at least for the second time, maybe the third time now in this, this first epistle, the message which you have heard from the beginning, it's the same message. Specifically, here's the message, here's the portion of the message that he wants to deal with, that he wants you to know, that he wants me to know, has not changed, has not changed wavered, has not been watered down. We should love one another. We should love one another. Now, if, uh, if we were in a children's Sunday school class, this would be an easy song, right? If you stop with just this verse, you would probably get the feeling, okay, John, hey, I appreciate it. That's great. Um, and give me a little more meat here. I mean, love one another. Love one another. Let's love one another. Um, if you're not careful, that, that very phrase has become so familiar and so obvious. I mean, it's a given, right? I mean, we kind of know that's part of the deal. We, we are commanded to love one another. That it becomes a small thing, maybe. For John, nothing is, nothing is gray. Nothing is small. John, as you've seen already, pulls no punches and he blurs no lines. In fact, he likes... He likes uh, very clear and abrupt contrasts. Light and dark. Holy and unholy. Of the Lord and of the devil. John mixes no words up. And so be careful if you just read that first verse and you think, okay, that's an easy, it's an easy day. We've got an easy day. Love one another, right? Okay, what, can you more, what more can you say about love one another, right? Love one another. Got it. Maybe John knows... That would be our, uh, our response. And so John, John takes it to a whole other level here. I think kind of in a surprising way. I don't know about you, but when I read the next verse, I thought, well, why, why does he, why you got to go there? I mean, why does, it have to, why does it have to go so serious all of a sudden? Look at the next verse, verse 12. Love one another, by the way, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, who slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do you think, or is it just me? That, that seems a little abrupt. Love one another. Hey, don't be like Cain. We all know the story of Cain and Abel. 
Uh, I thought about going back and, and recounting it to you, but I think you know it well enough. I don't want to get caught up so much in the story that we lose, I think, John's intent here. So, so let's, just, let's just remember what John says about it. Cain was the guy who killed his brother. The word slew here in the Greek is the word spazo. And the picture that that paints is to slit the throat. Is John clear about Cain? He is. He is. One commentator put it this way, that when John paints pictures for us in Scripture, he uses only two colors, black and white. So Cain was the guy who slit his brother's throat. The Latin word, if you were to translate this using Latin, is the word jugulari. We get jugular from this. This is a bold picture. Why is it here? As you're reading passages like this, you need to be asking yourself, why? Why do you go from this beautiful picture, admonition maybe, perhaps, love one another, to don't be like Cain? Did you notice, did you notice uh, John's uh, description of Cain, by the way? Cain, John gets right to it and says, is of the evil one. The guy who slew his brother, he's, he's from the evil one. He's not from the Lord. Why did he do it? It's pretty simple in John's estimation. Because his deeds, Cain's deeds, were evil. He's of the evil one. He will do evil. Why didn't he like his brother? It's as simple as the fact that his brother did right. It really doesn't have to get any more complicated than that, I suppose. Verse 13, John moves on from his example here. So don't be surprised, brethren. You remember the context of John's writing is that the church is a little confused. They've got people now, towards the end of this early expansion period of the gospel, who are starting to say, well, maybe this is what they meant, those original apostles. John being the last of them writes and says, no, what we meant is what we meant is what we said. So don't confuse it at all. And don't be surprised. To be surprised means you're lacking some information or you're assuming some information. And when other information comes, you're not ready for it. And he says, listen, let's be clear. Let's not be shocked or surprised about what? What does he say? If the world hates you. Now, if you were to draw a circle around the world and correlate it back to someone in verse 12, who would it be? Who is, who is the type that gives us really a way to understand what John and all the other authors in the New Testament would mean by the world? It would be Cain. Cain is a type of what we would, what we would expect from the world. Not, not the brethren, not those who are in the church, but those who are in the world. And so they're, they're, they're wondering, who's who in the zoo? John, help us, because we're a little confused here. This guy says he's, he's of the brethren. He says he's of the way. He says he's, he's following Jesus. But he's going this way, and we, we, seem, we, we think we're supposed to go this way. Well, what do we do? John starts to draw some very sharp and distinct lines here. So when he says love one another, he, he, he says, now, now let, me, let, me be, let me be clear on this. Let's talk about Cain and Abel. Polar opposites, we would, we would say. He's of the evil one. He did evil. His brother did right. Verse 14, he gives us some, some knowledge. You're going to see a couple phrases here repeated. In verse 14, he starts out, we know, and then he gives us some information. And then in verse 16, he's going to repeat it again. We know, and then he's going to throw it in in the middle of a verse as well. And so what John's trying to do is educate to correct doctrine so that practice is understood. Whether it's right practice or wrong practice. He wants the church to not be surprised. He wants them to be clear. And so we got the topic, love one another. We've got this, this, this kind of extreme example, but now we, we understand maybe that John's serious about this, and so, and so now he's going to start giving us some information so that we're not surprised. 
Those in this church who are reading this letter for the very first time, they probably really did feel hated by these guys over there. Guys who were doing wrong. So John writes to them to comfort them, to give them clarity. What do you want us to know, John? Verse 14. Look at it. We know that we, the true brethren, have passed out of death into life. What is that a picture of? You could say it's a picture of their salvation. It's a picture of being born again. They've passed from death to life. We have, the brethren, the true saints have passed from death to life. Great. How do we know? He tells you how we know. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we, what? Love the brethren. Contrast, he who does not love, inference, the brethren, abides in, what's the word? Death. The word abides there is the picture of living, residing, setting up house or your tent, tabernacling. It's, it's, it's where you live your life. It's your place of residence. It's where we can find you if we go looking for you. So when John says, we, we who have passed out of death into life, we know that we have because we love the brethren. How do we know the other guys, John? Because those guys do not love, and so they still live in death. That place that you were born out of, death into life, they're still there. That's where they live. Okay? So that's part of what we know. You might, you might notate it as John's love test. He's given us other tests throughout his letter, and he's going to give us a, a repeat of some, and he's going to give us clarification on some. There's, there's the social aspect of what we do. There's the moral aspect of who we are. Right here, right now, he's focusing on the love test. Do you love the brethren? How do we know we've passed from death to life? Well, one clear way is your love for the brethren. One clear way to know that you have not is that you take up residence still in death. We know this because you, you don't love the brethren. Now, I want to point out something here, and this is going to maybe, maybe take a little bit deeper thinking, but I think it's worth noting. There is no command in this verse. I really don't think in this section, 11 through 18, 19-ish even, I really don't think there's really any command in the heart or on the lips of the Apostle John. Let me point out what I mean by that and explain why I think it's important. When he says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren, I think he is stating a fact. What I mean by that is I don't think he's given a command there. And so I don't want you, the church, to hear that as a command. I don't want you to leave here and say, man, I've got to really pull myself up by my bootstraps and really buckle down on this, on this loving the brethren thing. If not, then I become the guy who doesn't love the brethren, and so then I'm found in death. I won't be anymore the guy who's passed from death into life. Read it this way. I think, I think this is the intent of John's words. These are the facts of the matter. They're not suggestions. They're not even commands. Should we love the brethren? Yes. Is John writing this primarily to, to challenge us to love the brethren? Yes, but, but maybe, think about this, maybe the real weight of his words here is found in, in, in just him stating the facts. We who have passed from death into life, we love the brethren. I mean, that's just how it is. It's not an option. It's part of the deal. It's part of the package. When you buy a car, you have the option to add all the different little get gadgets and accessories and leather and not leather and all that stuff you can add. They're optional, right? But Jesus Christ loving the brethren is not an optional accessory. I mean, it, it's, part of, it's part of the package. You get it standard when you get Jesus. Loving the brethren comes standard. With Jesus Christ. So John, I think, is stating the facts here. We, we love the brethren. And the fact is, he who does not love lives still in death. It's just how it is. How do we, how do we know, John? How do we, how do we draw some of these lines? He says, just look at the facts. 
Keep going. Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Are those John's words, by the way? I mean, it may be John's paraphrase, but I think, I think Jesus said something like that, didn't he? You have heard it said, don't, don't murder your brother, <laughs> right? We all get that. Israel knew that from long ago. That was all the way back to the Old Testament. Jesus came along and said, that's, that's what you've heard. But listen, there, there's, there's something deeper than that. If you have hate in your heart for your brother, then, then you're, you're, just as, you're just as ready to be convicted as a murderer as the guy who's committed murder. So these aren't, these aren't John's words. Well, they are John's words because you could go back to John 13 from his gospel writing and find him quoting Jesus. It's not John 13. I'll have to look it up. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's an interesting picture. I think, again, he's stating facts. I don't even think that that verse is intended to be a threat to those who would read this letter in the church who were the the fraudulent among them. This could be interpreted as a threat. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So you could read this and, and gather from it, maybe, maybe glean some fear. Man, I, I, don't, I want eternal life. I don't want, I don't want to be a, a part or outside of eternal life. But again, I think that John is stating the facts. This isn't even a threat. These aren't commands. I think he's giving us the facts of the matter. And what is the fact of the matter? Everyone who hates his brother, just like Jesus said, is a murderer. And you know, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding. That's the same word he used up in verse 14, isn't it? No murderer has eternal life living in him. So the fact of the matter is, is that if that's you, if, if you're the guy who's hating your brother, or if that's, if that's the guy you're wondering about, if that's the person you're wondering about, Jesus would equate them to a murderer. It's a serious matter here. This idea of loving one another, we're not just... We're not just we're not just giving lip service to it. John says this is an important thing. It's an important litmus test for those who are in the faith. Because here's what, it, here's what it shows. It shows whether or not they have eternity in their heart. The fact of the matter is, is, is that guy does not have eternity in him. We, we who are numbered among those who have been extended grace through faith, fact of the matter is, you got eternity in you. Eternal life resides in you. It abides in you. It has taken up residence. The Holy God, via the Holy Spirit that you have received, has taken up residence, now abides within you. So what's the fact of the matter? The fact of the matter is, the guy who, who hates like that, the, the murderer type like that, the one who lives a lifestyle in that direction, guess what? The truth is, they just don't have eternal life living in them. One who loves the brethren, it's because he has eternal life bubbling up in him. There's not a choice. It's not an optional accessory. Keep going. Verse 16. We've got a somewhat negative example to teach us in Cain. Verse 16, he's going to give us a divine example. This is what we look like, verse 16. This is what we ought to look like. We know, same phrase, He's given us more information so that we're not confused or surprised. We know love by this. Because John, John, John's a great teacher. He, he probably presumed that somebody out there saying, okay, great, love one another, I understand, cool. Uh, this guy, this is what love looks like. This is not what love looks like. And this guy, eternity is in him. Eternity's not, okay. But really, what does love look like? I'm glad you asked. John says, we know what love looks like by this. And here it is. Here's how we know what love looks like. That he, who's the he, capital H, referring to Jesus here, he did something. What did he do? He laid down his life for us. We know love by this, that he laid down his life. That, of course, is referring to his death, isn't it? Christ put his body on the altar and did you see why? Only two short words, but I, I love these two words. I'm glad that God divinely inspired them to be in the passage. Why did Jesus, don't miss it, why did he lay down his life? 
for us. Maybe you've never considered the fact that that the, the Creator God has gone to the extent to bridge the gap to cover our sin debt. He has gone to the extent of sending His Son, putting on flesh, coming to earth, and, and not just coming here, but coming here and humbling Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's done that. And why did He do it? He did it, he did it in no small part for you. That's what it says. What is love, John? Okay, I'll tell you what love is. Love is Jesus. And specifically, love is Jesus laying down His life for us. What is the point? Love is, maybe you could say, love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. It's an interesting choice of words. I love that, I love that, he, that he used that phrase. He laid down His life. He didn't just say He died. He didn't just say He came to the cross. It says He laid down His life. It connotates Jesus' willingness, for one. But I think it, it gives, a, it gives a, very, a very good picture of what Jesus did. He laid down His life. Um, I've never done this myself, but when I think about someone laying down their life, I get, I get the picture of a gentleman back in the day taking off his overcoat and laying it across a puddle for a lady to step so she doesn't have to get her heels or whatever, she, flat, whatever she's got on. Wet, right? Have you ever seen this? I mean, it's a, it's a lost art. Chivalry, it's all gone, right? But that used to happen. I, I've always been impressed with just that imagery. But that's what I think of when I think of this. And he finishes this verse by saying what? We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, John's all about glorifying Jesus. Any chance he gets, he wants to to glorify Jesus and the sacrifice of Christ. But, but, But listen to me now. The point of this verse is not to glorify Jesus merely. The point of this verse is to prop Jesus up as an example so that you follow his example. Jesus laid down his life for us. Awesome. Praise the Lord. But don't miss his... His greater point, his more immediate point, is that Jesus laid down his life. Now, that's exactly what you need to do. Whether it be on a cross or over a puddle. Whichever, whichever picture you want to use there, that's our challenge. That's our challenge. I think still it's not a command. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a pretty strong suggestion for John. I think he's still mentioning matters of fact. We who are of the brethren, we who have eternity in us, we who are not like Cain, we love the brethren. We, we don't hate. We have eternal life residing, abiding in us. And we know that, we know that love looks like this because we've seen it in Jesus. And we know that that's what love looks like in us. It's supposed to supposed to. Um, recently, I watched a movie that I've seen uh, before, saw it in the theater the first time, a movie called Lone Survivor. It was made after a book. It's a true story of a Navy SEAL named Marcus Luttrell, who was part of an operation that uh, very simply went bad for a number of reasons. In the end, 19 soldiers and SEALs are killed. And uh, only Luttrell survives, thus the title of the book in the subsequent movie, Lone Survivor. I, uh, I love the ending of movies, you know, when they, sometimes you think, you think it's done and people start to get up and then, you know, they, they start to show like the outtakes, the funny stuff. Um, that, doesn't ha- that doesn't happen in Lone Survivor, by the way. But what does happen at the end, during the credits, just after the screen goes dark from the main from the main show. They start to show pictures. Pictures of the men, the real men, that uh, Luttrell tells about. His friends, his brothers. Those who gave their life. Those who laid down their life in that operation. The first time I saw it in the movie theater, I, I think I was with my father-in-law. It was, it was during the week, during, during the day, and so there weren't many people in, in the theater. It was a large theater, but I, I did notice as soon as we got there that, that we were one of maybe... 12 or 20 or so there. It really became noticeable at the end as they started to flash these pictures up of of those who had given their life in this operation. It really became obvious who was in the theater because one by one, the men in the theater started to stand. 
Anybody else have this experience at the movie? Seen this movie? First guy stood up and I thought, maybe he's stretching. And the guy next to him stood up. And he had he had a wounded warrior shirt on, I could tell. Next guy stood up and he had his hat and he used it to cover his heart. Kind of looked back over my shoulder and the two behind me stood up. And I just got to tell you that I was just a little bit in awe. I was a little bit humbled. And maybe not, but it just seemed like these men, some young, many old, um, if I had to bet, most of them had served at some point in time before. You could just tell. And I I sat there. I I was kind of frozen. I I, I think probably my father-in-law felt the same way. I thought maybe maybe I should stand. <laughs> but then I I just tell you, I, I, I just didn't feel worthy to stand. I've been in the military just a couple of years and I've never been in harm's way. I got the strong feeling that those men who were standing up were were men who have seen stuff. Men who have who have probably put their life on line in a similar way that those men whose pictures we were seeing had put their life on the line and laid their life down and given their life up. And as those men stood, I was, I was humbled and I was struck at the, at the weight of the, of the depth of the brotherhood of those, those who are willing to put their life on the line, those who are willing to lay their life down. See, the truth is that in, in, in the military, no matter what branch, there's this odd thing there's this odd thing of, of brotherhood for the guy next to you. That, that They don't fight for apple pie. They don't fight for the red, white, and the blue. Not, not primarily. They don't fight for the president. They don't, they don't fight even for your freedom. They fight for the, for the man or the woman right next to them. And it was very evident as those people stood up for those who had laid their life down. There's... There's something natural about honoring those who've laid their life down, isn't there? We instinctively honor those who would put their life on the line and give it as an ultimate sacrifice. I think it's, I think it's exactly what makes Jesus so attractive, isn't it? That he would, as John has indicated here, lay down his life for us. It's interesting if you think about it. That's exactly, I think, the Father's intent. That we would be attracted to the Son, not by His appearance. Scripture tells us that He was nothing to look at. There was nothing about Him that, that we should be drawn to Him. I've always thought that was kind of funny. You know, if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're Jesus and you're getting sent to earth and you could be put into a human body, I mean, you know, I mean, you got your pick, right? I mean, you just you could design it any way you wanted. You know, you come back as, come down here as Brad Pitt or... Arnold Schwarzenegger, whatever, whatever you want to do, right? Scripture tells us he was nothing to look at. It was nothing about his appearance, meaning that, that we would be drawn to him just because of that. What draws us to Jesus? That he's the guy who, who's laid his life down. John, what is it, what is it that, that, that people should be drawn to in us and in, 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 in we who are the church? I think it's the same thing. Like him, like him, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That, John says, is love. Now, um, John could have stopped right here, I think. I mean, at least, you know, he could have wrapped up this section and then later on they could have put chapter 4 right here and he could have moved on. He could have just kind of went on to another thought. I mean, think about it. He's, he's done a pretty good job in his argument, in his preaching, in his writing to you and I and to the original readers. He's done a pretty good job of building his argument here. Love one another. Great. Hey, listen, it's not anything new, but listen, love one another. Okay, we get it. No, no it's, it's serious. It's as serious as Cain and Abel. I mean, this thing of hatred, it, remember Jesus talked about it. It's a big deal. In fact, it marks us. In fact, Jesus said, you'll, you'll, when you're a part of the world, you'll be able to tell who's mine because they're loving each other in such a strong way. Wow. 
what power he gives to the world that they could judge us based on our ability to love one another, our willingness to love one another. That's, that's a weighty responsibility we have. I mean, don't be surprised, he says, that, that you've got some people in the church that hate you because, what, listen, eternity is not in them. It's just the fact of the matter. They've not, like you, passed from, from death to life. They're still living dead men. So don't be surprised. One of the ways that you could tell is that they, they love one another. One of the ways you know that you're in the faith and you can be encouraged is that you, you, you in, your, in your very um, inner being, in your very constitution, have been changed. You have been born again. You have been made a new creation. And part of the non-optional equipment that you've got is this, this new ability to love the brethren, this new instinct to love the brethren. You want to know what love looks like? Hey, it looks like Jesus, doesn't it? He's always the perfect example. He laid his life down. We lay our lives down. Amen. Amen. Pass the plate. Let's go eat lunch. It would be a great place to stop. I think John is just getting to it, though. We have the uncanny ability, especially in the church, to keep the theoretical the theoretical, don't we? John won't allow us to do that. Look at the next verse. Whoever has the world's goods, notice that he doesn't say that you have a, a ton of it either. He doesn't even say that, it, that, that your barns are overflowing. He doesn't say that you have more than you need. He just says you have it. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother. Notice that brother is singular here. We've been talking about loving one another, loving the brethren. This great theoretical theological principle right here, right now. John looks at you in your eyes. The Holy Spirit should be speaking directly to your heart. He nails you. We're going to get specific right here. We're talking one-on-one. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother, that individual, that one guy. We're not talking about the whole church. Have you seen that guy? The one in need? Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide? There's that word again. How does the love of God live in that person? Inference? He doesn't. Fact of the matter? He doesn't. How do we know? How do we know, John, what love looks like? Well, let's get real specific here. If the example of Jesus isn't enough, now let's talk about that one guy, that one guy that you passed the other day. I was going to preach this message last week, right? You remember that? And then you guys interrupted the whole thing and did the whole pastor appreciation thing. Uh, and thank you again for that. Um, it was funny. Before church, the phone rang. And I answered it in the office. And uh, Andy, the guy who does a lot of our financial stuff, he said, don't answer it, don't answer it. I answered it. And uh, because we tend to get a lot of solicitations, especially on Sunday morning. Hey, is this the pastor? I need to talk to the pastor. This is the pastor. And uh, long story short, the guy, the guy told me his story. I don't know whether it was true or false. told me his story, and he, he needed help with a night at a hotel. And so uh, I said, okay. All right. Tell me what to do. I'll call. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. I called, and I took care of it. And Andy said, man, like, are you sure you're calling the right place? Are you sure you're giving our, our credit card to the right person? I mean, maybe he gave us a, just a number. And, you know, and I said, Andy, Andy, I, I get it. I do. And in a moment of honesty, I said, now, Andy, listen, bro, I'm just telling you, I had to just go ahead and say yes because I couldn't go preach this message last week (laughs) if I don't give this guy. Kind of a message within a message here. Some uh, Some of you might overthink that sort of thing sometimes. Can I tell you that, I don't know, you could probably very rarely go wrong being generous. You could very rarely go wrong being generous. You say, well, maybe they're going to go buy booze. Maybe they're going to, maybe that guy who comes up to my window and, and, and wants a dollar or two, maybe he's just a fraud. And maybe, hey, listen, let me, just, let me just help you out a little bit, okay? Sermon within a sermon. Stop worrying about that. Stop worrying about that. Give him, give him what you got. Give him whatever you, you sense the Lord might lead you to do. And don't, and don't try and figure out whether he's going to do all the right thing with it. If you want to take him to the store and buy him some food, I, okay, I get all that. But I'm just telling you, listen, 
let, let God take care of that. I want to be this guy. I want to be the guy that if I have some of the world's goods and I see my brother in need, not some theoretical guy out there, but my bro- this, this one person in need, I want to be the guy who doesn't close his heart against him. Strong language here. Let me point this out. And we'll get ready to be wrapping this up. In the picture that John is painting here, I think that it would have been better. It's a bold statement, right? I think that it would have been better if he said, if the guy who has the world's goods sees someone in need and he closes his, I think a better word would have been hand, right? It fits better in the picture, right? If you see someone who has, you have some stuff and you see someone who doesn't have some stuff and they need some stuff. Don't be the guy who closes your hand and keeps your stuff. Be willing to give away, right? So that would be a better, that'd be a better picture. But I won't argue with John because I think John is a pretty smart dude. He breaks, he breaks the picture a little. He breaks the analogy here. Sees his brother in need and closes his, what's the word? His heart. See, what John knows is not, it's not a matter of the stuff. It's a heart matter. It's a matter of the heart. Isn't that what he's been trying to get at the whole time? It's a matter of fact, isn't it? It's a matter of fact. I think, I think Scripture talks about somewhere that we who are in Christ have received a new heart, a heart of flesh. I want to be the guy like David who is after God's own heart. Not just chasing after it, but a replica of the heart of God. Little children, verse 18. I love how John, in his grandfatherly years, comes back now and he, he gently says to us, Little children, Let's not love with word or with tongue. Let's not just flap our gums about it. Let's not just talk a good game, church. But in deed and in truth. Not in theory, but in practice. What does a Christian look like? He looks like someone who loves the brethren. What does that love look like exactly? You know, I'm not... I'm not John, I'm not the guy who... At least I don't expect that I'm going to be in the position anywhere near what Jesus was in that I would have to lay down my life for the brethren. I would love to believe. I would love to believe that if, that if I was asked to lay down my life, to give my life in a physical way for any, any one of the brethren, you might say, I would love to believe that I could do that. But, but maybe you're thinking, Pastor, maybe you're thinking, John, I don't, I don't foresee myself being in that position. Not here in our comfy little corner of the world especially. So I really, I don't really know what, what this laying down my life would look like. He says, well, let me, let, me tell, let, me give you, let me give you an example. You got some stuff? This guy doesn't have some stuff. Don't close your heart to him. Let your heart, let your heart be open. Maybe you do need to lay down your life. Maybe you can die. Maybe you can die to your selfishness your self-centeredness. Maybe there are some ways we can lay down our life for the brethren. Let me read you a story. Story of sacrifice, simple, pure Christian love. Frederick Buechner writes in his book, Secrets in the Dark, I remember an especially dark time in my life. One of my children was sick, and in my anxiety for her, I was in my own way as sick as she was. Then one day the phone rang. It was a man I didn't know very well then, though he has become a great friend since. A minister from Charlotte, North Carolina, which is about 800 miles or so from where I live in Vermont. I assumed he was calling from home and asked him how things were going down there, only to hear him say that no, he wasn't in Charlotte. He was at an inn about 20 minutes away from my house. He'd known I was having troubles. He said... And he thought maybe it would be handy to have an extra friend around for a day or two. The reason he didn't tell me in advance that he was coming must have been that he knew I would tell him, for heaven's sake, 
don't do anything so crazy. So for heaven's sake, he did something crazier still, which was to come those 800 miles without telling me he was coming so that for all he knew, I might not even be there. But as luck had it, I was there. And for a day or two, he was there with me. He was there for me. I didn't think anything we found to say to each other amounted to very much or had anything particularly religious about it. I don't remember even spending much time talking about my troubles with him. We just took a couple walks, had a meal or two together, smoked our pipes, drove around to see some of the countryside, and and that was about it. And I never forgot how he came all that distance just for that. And I'm sure he has never forgotten it either. I also believe that although, as far as I can remember, we never so much as mentioned the name of Christ, Christ was as much in the air we breathed those few days as the smoke of our pipes was in the air or the dappled light of the woods we walked through. I believe that for a while, a little while, we both of us touched the hem of Christ's garment. We were both of us, for a little time anyway, healed. Um, I said to you last week at the end of uh, your appreciation time that not just in word but in deed you as a body of Christ have, have driven the 800 miles to my heart on more than one occasion over the last five months. I'm grateful to you. I thank God that this message that I preached this morning is not a message that um, I feel is one that you are not well on your way to fulfilling. I thank God that he is so he has so planted eternity in your hearts that that you are seeing the fruit between one another in the brethren, love for one another. I thank the Lord that that you are of God and not of the evil one. I thank the Lord that I see right in your eyes and in your heart and on your hands as they reach out even to me and my boys. If you're here this morning and um, you've never given your life to God, if you've never repented of your sin, if you've never asked that the sacrifice of Christ be counted to your personal debt of sin, then I want to say something shocking to you right here as we end. Here it is. We're sorry. We. We are sorry. The same we that John talks about. We, the brethren, we are sorry. Why? We're sorry because maybe our lives are not telling you the story of God's great love in all the ways that they should be, in all the ways that they ought to be. You see, you should be drawn to God in no small part because of us and the way we live out the love of Jesus Christ. I can only beg your forgiveness on behalf of the brethren, past and present, and ask that you reconsider Christ on His merits alone. You see, He can stand on His own. You see, He hasn't failed you, maybe as we have. He laid down His life in a way that no one else could. The Father has let go of grace in an amazing show of His love for you. So, while this church in closing takes just a few moments to repent for its shortcomings, perhaps, in this area, hey, can I ask you just to reconsider Christ? Maybe you've seen what I've, what I've been talking about. Maybe you've seen the love of God in the life of this church, especially of recent I pray that it points you to His love. I pray that you become attracted to Jesus by by watching what happens among His brethren. I hope we can be a part of that. But if, if we have not been, or if someone else who names themselves among the brethren has given you reason to doubt Jesus' love, then I'm sorry. I'm sorry for them. And I would beg you, 
Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He will not fail you. He laid down his life for you. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks for a moment out of our week to gather, to pray, to praise, to celebrate, and to humble ourselves before your word. As we gather in this place that we call Cornerstone Church, we gather humbly at your feet, but we gather boldly as well because we know that you have torn the veil, you have made a way for us by your Son, by his blood, by his cross, by him laying down for us. We're thankful for this opportunity. We come humbly to your feet to worship you and to learn of your ways. For the brethren, I ask that we would be changed and challenged by your word this morning and that we would go out with greater confidence, sensing the eternity that you have placed in us, knowing with greater confidence who we are because of your extended grace to us through your Son. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do in the darkness of our hearts right here, right now. For those that that have still not embraced grace by faith, Holy Spirit, we the brethren, we, we pray right here, right now. God, have your way in all of us. And for these short few moments before we leave, may we do business with you so that we are not the same when we go out. In Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.